If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Dominic Swantoski, the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. All right, so here we are at number eight in this set of nine fundamental skills for tight line and Euro nymphing. We've come a long way. And it's taken a lot of understanding, a lot of practice and refinement to consistently get the flies to the trout with a one-seam dead drift traveling at the current speed of the strike zone. In truth, all of the previous steps are more difficult. The casting and control of the leader for dead drifting a fly naturally is the biggest challenge in the game. Our efforts to both guide a fly and let the river drift it naturally, to be in touch but not too much, are imperfect at best, and there is endless room for refinement. It's hard, but thankfully trout don't need it perfect most days either. So with this eighth skill, the strike, there are two elements to understand here. First, there's the strike from a trout, the take, the hit, the gimme that I want to eat it from a fish. So we need to recognize and sense that strike. And then second, there's our strike, the hook set. The swift rod tip motion that drives the hook point home and attaches us to the trout. So it helps to have a plan and give some thought to how that's done too. Remember, fooling trout is the hard part. The rest of this, hooking and landing a fish, comes much easier. All right, so I'm here with my friend Austin Dando to talk about the strike from a fish and how we strike back. How's it going, Austin? Pretty good, buddy. How are you? Good. What's the beer tonight? Uh, we got the New Trail Broken Heels. Back on the new trail. Yep. I love it. Yep. The pounder. The 16-ounce pounder. <laughs> That's right. But you pour your beers, yes? Yes, absolutely. I know. Me too. Yeah, lots of people don't pour their beers. They say, "That's oh, all right. I need to pour it. They're missing out. Missing out on the visual. Missing out on the aroma. <laughs> I never considered the visual. You like that? Oh, yes. 
The aroma, though. If you pour beer out in like a solo cup, it's not the same as pouring it out in a glass. You got to see it. I like it. The, the lace, is that what they call the, uh, like the foam that sticks to sure. the glass? Yep. Yeah, the inside of the glass. That's right. You like the lace. I do. Hey, Austin, do you like, you like this podcast stuff? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> you know, now that I think about it. <laughs> um, seriously. No, I, I really do enjoy it, actually. You like talking this stuff out? I do. It's fun to hear your perspective and often feel like somebody else is experiencing the same stuff that I do out there. Right. And I also like just being able to share information, whether it be mm-hmm. a new idea or just an old idea kind of respoken. It's good yeah. for me. Um, and hopefully it's good for the listeners. But yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, it's fun to hear your perspective too. We've said before, we're always learning from from everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is neat. We're putting together, well, these nine skills that I think this will be around for a while. At least I hope so. Mm. You combine that with the articles and then all the links to other articles within each companion article for this whole podcast series. Yeah. There's a lot of information there. Yeah. I think it's neat. Um, Whether you've been doing it for a long time or you're brand new at it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you can really improve things at any moment, you know? Yeah. All right, then let's do it. Let's dive right in here and talk about the strike. Let's start with the first part, really, how we sense that strike from a fish. Hey, what's your best tip? Really, like bottom line, what's your best tip for sensing a strike from the fish? Mm, Best tip, maybe assume less. And what I mean by that would be, um, there's nuances to this, but don't hesitate to, to set the hook on things that seem out of place. Sometimes I feel like maybe we get complacent or we're looking for a very dramatic visual or physical interaction from the trout. Yeah. And oftentimes we don't get that from them. So maybe assume less and set a little bit more. I like it. Not too complicated, right? Right. It boils down to, Austin, hook sets are free. <laughs> that's right. Isn't that what everybody says? That's what everybody says. That's, that's, why don't you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> hook sets are free. Because everybody else says that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're talking about how to sense that hook set. And there's a big difference. We we just talked about leading and tracking. We talked about overweighting and underweighting the system. Let me point this out right away. If you overweight the system, if you have a little bit more weight than you need, and if your goal especially, this is probably the most important thing, if your goal is to hit the river bottom and touch and tick and tap, tap that river bottom, I don't know, multiple times throughout the drift. If you're aiming for that river bottom so you know where you are, then you are going to force yourself to guess, hey, was that a rock? Hmm, was that a fish? I don't know. Mm. That felt like a fish. (laughs) That's Hank Patterson for you. That's right. (laughs) I don't know. That felt like a fish. You're forcing yourself over and over to guess. Was it a rock? Was it a fish? Was it a rock? Was it a fish? If you're planning to tap and tick that river bottom, That's one of the problems with touching so much. And if you underweight the flies a little bit, if if your goal is not to touch and to just drift through that strike zone or even above the strike zone um, Mm. and try to be real clean, then you're going to trust yourself to just set on anything, almost anything. Um, You'll set on anything unusual. We'll get to that in a little bit, break that down a little bit more. Yeah. But right off the bat, I think it's important to understand that what we're trying to sense here, that strike, it's going to be complicated because there are two different, two drastically different ways of drifting. And we've covered so much of how we we're setting up the drift and now actually drifting in all these previous podcasts. 
So what about strike detection? I mean, even if we are touching the bottom, do you think it's visual or do you feel it? Can you feel, are you waiting to feel a fish? Right. That's, that's the ultimate question. <laughs> um, certain scenarios, you will feel a strike more than you will in, in others. So if you're, if you're heavily weighted, I'd argue that you are more often or more prone to feel a strike than you were if you were um, lightly weighted. Yeah. But in both scenarios, no matter what, I do believe there is a visual aspect that mm-hmm. must occur before anything else. Yeah, we talked about this in one of the other podcasts. Uh, we said strike detection is always going to be visual. It's always there. Even if you yeah. feel it, then your sight are bumped or moved or hesitated or twitched. It did something, you know? Right. There are plenty of times if we are bumping the bottom, ticking and touching, we learn to feel something different. All of a sudden you go, mm, that didn't feel as hard as a rock. I'm going to set the hook. Mm-hmm. Must have been a fish. And so, you know, we're digging into this more than we did in, an, in that other podcast because strike detection is visual. I say it's always there. Yeah. The strike detection is always a visual thing. And yet we are absolutely bringing in feel to the whole thing, especially if our goal is to touch the bottom even much at all. Because again, you're forcing yourself to guess. If you're trying to touch the bottom, you can't set the hook all the time, you know? Right. Yeah, that's it. Honestly, the thinner the leader that you go, the more you can kind of sense the difference between the bottom and a fish. Or today, I could kind of sense, I was fishing in a bit of a grassy area, and Mm. I could kind of sense the difference between a rock and a grassy area. Now, lots of times (laughs) I went. Isn't that funny? It was strange. Yeah. So lots of times I would just set because it just felt softer. I could feel it better because I was using a thinner leader. Yeah. That is an advantage of a thinner leader. That's funny. I've come to the point now where once I set the hook, I know immediately whether one, it's a fish mm-hmm. or two, between the difference of rock and wood. Hmm. Yeah. Immediately I know if I've hooked a rock or a piece of wood. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you'd much rather hook a rock. Oh, absolutely. 10 out of 10 <laughs> times. I will say too, it, a lot of times, if a fish eats the tag up above, let's say we're setting it up so we run our tag 20 inches up. And if they come up and they eat the tag, often that's kind of an aggressive eat. They come up out of their strike mm. zone position, eat that tag, and turn down. And when they turn down, they're sort of pulling the line with them, and you feel it, and the whole thing is just more aggressive uh, with tag eats rather than nice. point fly eats. Just something else to think about. I like that. That's a good visual too. Yeah. So this whole idea, people will say, sit on anything. Just like they say, hook sets are free. Right? Right. People tell you, sit on anything. Hey, you just have to sit on anything. That's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. This idea, this repeated mantra to sit on anything is a mistake. I mean, sure, setting on anything can be a good way to start, you know, to approach this, but we're well past the starting block. And so I say, sit on anything unexpected or unusual. We've talked about how when you go through that lane a couple times, you have a series of expectations. Even just walking up to a piece of water you've never even fished, you have this experience. You tuck it in. You know how much slack you gave the nymphs. You know how much your nymphs weigh. You know that you fished this rubber leg stonefly a lot, and you know how it's going to fall. You have a series of expectations. When something interrupts those expectations or something unusual happens, that's when I set. You know, yeah. so I don't sit on anything and I, I almost never recommend to people, well, just sit on anything. Right. Yeah. But I will lean towards setting on almost anything uh, when I'm tracking the flies and I'm a little underweighted mm. again, not touching so much. Yeah. I, I agree with that too. When we are overweighted. Yeah. I think it's easier to develop a sense of what's going on 
down underneath the surface. That's another advantage, yes. And then when we take that weight away, it's a little bit more of a guessing game because we don't have we don't have an exact pinpointed location necessarily of the flies the whole time. So we're yeah. maybe a little bit more prone to guessing. For sure. Good point. Hey, is there a sixth sense to all this? You know, people <laughs> say, oh, there's a sixth sense. You know, nymph fishermen get just this sense for where what a strike is. What do you think? Right. Uh, no, I don't think there is at all. What I do think there is, is experience and time on the water. Right on. And, you know, we have, you know, years of experiences and things that uh, we've learned and these little bits of knowledge that have built up to be, you know, pretty helpful pieces of knowledge to indicate to us that something is unusual. And the better you are at realizing something may be unusual, be it incredibly subtle or not. Yeah. That's when it looks like a sixth sense. But no, I don't believe there is one setting the hook. Nice. Me neither. And I don't think there's a fishing gene. What is that? Like you're a fishy guy? Right. People's, uh, he's just, you know, born to fish or, you know, he's just mm. naturally more gifted than the next person. Mm. No. Again, it just comes down to experience and caring about what you're doing and yeah. trying to learn. Right. And plenty of anglers are not sort of, let's say, the learning type. I think most of us are. I, th- I think most anglers are attracted because there's so much to learn. Yep. Yeah, but, but plenty of anglers are just, hey, I just like being out here and catching a few fish. That's cool, too. Those people are probably not listening to this podcast, <laughs> especially this far in. Yeah, maybe number eight. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, you can just throw it upstream and drift it back. That'll yeah. work, you know. But, man, we love digging into this stuff. Yep. And, yeah, the more you learn, the more experience you have, the more that sixth sense is sort of developed, if you want to call it that. Right. You know, and that, that fishing gene gets turned on. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, last point before we move on to like how we set the hook, but these strikes from the fish. I say, see beyond the cider. I've written articles about that. I say that to my guests all the time when I'm guiding. See beyond the cider. We are fo- we're so focused on the cider. And why wouldn't you be? It's a nice piece of colored line out there that's giving you all kinds <laughs> of data. Like I get yep. it. But really, if you can train yourself, once you get comfortable with reading the cider and everything it shows you, that might take seasons, but once you're there, then see beyond the cider. You're going to see it anyway. My recommendation is to look into the water, see where the nymph is. You know where it is because you have contact on the cider or you just did have contact on the cider. You really don't have to guess. If you're five feet from your end of your cider to your point fly, then look five feet past where your cider is pointing and that's where your nymph is. Yeah. So look at that. See, beyond the cider, you are still going to see the cider in your vision. It's still there. You're still going to see everything. But not only will it help you drift the flies better because you're looking into the water to see the next thing that you should do with the nymph to help it drift more naturally, to encounter obstacles or like we talked about this before, letting it dip into a pothole and all Mm -hmm. things like that. But you will also occasionally see a strike. You'll see a flash. And man, I'll tell you, if I see a flash, I don't wait. I just, I set the hook. Yeah. I do not wait when I see a flash. Anything, any kind of response in the water, I'm setting the hook. Yep. And sometimes you set the hook and nothing's there. Yeah. That's all right. I think uh, something that goes along, maybe making that easier, you've written about this too, is fishing to a target. Yeah. Um, And we have a intentional place that we're casting too it can also help us out and seeing beyond the cider and, and knowing where our flies are at just yeah. knowing where our own awareness is in the in the river 
Yeah, good point. I catch myself quite a bit just staring at the cider, just staring at it. Yeah. Why? I don't need to anymore. (laughs) I can see past the cider. I'm still going to see it. That's the point. Everything that you need to know is right there in front of you, and yet you can get even more data by eh, staring into the water instead of staring at the cider. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by fly fishing team USA angler Devin Olson with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy a urinimping rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered. And our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to the tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. Your fly and the presentation given is only as good as your tippet. There's no denying that the right flies are a key part of the nymphing equation, and so is the right tippet. Fooling Mill Masterclass Fluorocarbon has the lowest refractive index on the market. It's also dense, durable, and super strong. Pair that with the Fooling Mill Tippet Rings and their new Masterclass Monofilament Cider, and you'll be in top shape. Fooling Mill Tippet is available from 7X to 04X. Stock up at foolingmill.com or ask for it at your local dealer. So let's get to setting the hook and like how we strike back. Cool. Again, this is the, this is the fun part. This is the <laughs> this is the fun episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for, you know, is uh getting a hit. I mean, this is why we're out here fishing. So the fish strikes, you know, the fish eats. And we sense that. We determine that fish just ate. Yep. I have to do something. <laughs> <laughs> what do we do next? Uh, so basic rule of thumb here is always set downstream. Downstream, um, yes. Yeah. You know, if we, we picture a trout looking upstream, its mouth right. is intercepting bugs coming down to it. Right. Our flies are doing the same thing. We want to drive the hook directly into its jaw and not uh, away from it back upstream. Good so. point. Right. I was like, if you set downstream, you're pulling the the nymph and the hook back into the trout. Right. If you set upstream, well, you're pulling the fly out of the trout's mouth. Don't want to do that. Now, we talked so much in the Angle and Approach podcast, episode one, about fishing upstream, and you know, up two rod lengths and only over one rod length, that being sort of your perfect angle and, and position. And then we said, you know, usually we pick up the nymph before it even gets past our position. So mm, yeah. with, with that kind of, pure, let's say, angle and approach, you're always going to set downstream anyway. That's true. But there are plenty of times, and I was doing it today because the water was dirty. I was letting my flies kind of lift and swing out, or I was doing a bit of an induced take and down past me. But I was ready. If and when those fish were going to eat, I was going to swing the rod downstream. We acknowledge that you can't always set completely downstream, you know. Right. But you set as much downstream as you can. You know, even at night when I'm swinging flies downstream, which is one of the only times that I do that, but I'm actually often working downstream and then fishing downstream. Anyway, when a fish eats, I swing that rod. Boy, I don't set up. I don't I don't set upstream. Right. I swing that rod, well, bank side, you know, and downstream, just yep. as much downstream as I can get. Now, realistically, what's happening is that fly has gone sideways into exactly. the trout. You know, yep. like we acknowledge that. But it's as downstream as you can possibly get. That's where your yeah. hook sets need to be. Yep. Good point about that. I'm I'm all with that. 
another thing to think about here is setting the direction of the back cast. Mm-hmm. Um, most hook sets become a back cast. Yeah. You yeah. know, if we're, uh, we're getting to the end of our drift, we're going to throw a little hook set in the end there just to make sure that's going to turn into our back cast and we're mm. going to deliver the next shot. Hey, that's a really good point. You said at the end of every drift, you're hook setting anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've had people say, well, then you're just trying to snag fish. No, we're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, people coming out of Michigan often say like, oh, no, 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 you don't do that. You're just snagging fish. No, that's not what we're doing. That's not it. Huh. At the end of every drift, I'll just do a crisp little set. We'll get into a little bit more exactly yep. how we set. But yeah, just a little set that gets the flies moving up and out of the water, gets them gets them activated, so to speak, gets the line kind of unstuck from the surface current if it's in there. Yep. Everything gets moving That's and true. motivated and, and you know ready to go. Yeah. And then that hook set turns right into the back cast, like you said. I mean, even if even on the best day, you're still going to set probably 30 times before you, you know, it's like yeah. 30 to one yeah. hook sets, 20 or 30 to one hook set, nothing there, back cast, right. right back in. Yeah. And I think some people think maybe that hook set is like a one in a million chance there might be a fish on there, but really it's not all that uncommon throughout your day to, to have at least a couple fish eat at that one little spot. Oh, at the very back end, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a, a phenomenon or something. It does happen. Absolutely. And sometimes it works, and when it does, you pay attention to it. Yeah, and I don't know why. I have no explanation, but often trout will eat your nymph and then just drift mm. back with it. And so they gave you no indication that they ate your fly, huh. your cider doesn't move, not, nothing happens. Nothing yeah. unusual happens, so you didn't yeah. set. You give that little hook set at the end of the drift, and there's a fish there mysteriously, there you go. And so at the end of the day, um, you do, you'll catch two or three extra fish that you had no idea. And you wouldn't have caught those fish if you hadn't done that hook set at the end of every drift. That's a cool point. That's really cool. Hey, what's a hook set look like though? We talk about direction and everything, you know, but yeah, a hook set is a fast and firm movement of the rod tip. Um, what it doesn't look like is throwing your whole arm or whole body <laughs> in the direction of downstream. Um, really, it's just a fast, quick motion of the rod tip. You only have to move it a couple inches, mm-hmm. and that's all you need. Yeah, it should be fast. The first thing you said there is fast. Yeah. That's probably the biggest key, I would say. And we want to kind of be on edge. I mean, we've acknowledged that tight line nymphing can kind of wear you out after hours of doing it because you do need to be on edge. And sure. a lot of that is just being ready to set at any moment because you don't yeah. want to miss that chance. Trout eat the fly, they let it go real quickly, and we want to be able to, boom, set really quick. And it needs to be fast. Like you said, just a few inches. I think mm-hmm. of a six-inch hook set, a three-inch hook set, a six-inch yeah. hook set, somewhere in that range. Like you said, I'm not bringing it all the way back. I'm not even going a 12-inch or 24-inch hook set. No, I just want it to be just set at three to six inches. Now, that's assuming that I'm in contact or I'm just barely in contact, right? just barely out of contact, right? That's assuming that there's no slack to pick up. That's all really a hook set is, is removing any sort of degree of slack in your leader very quickly. Yeah. And maybe a little bit extra so we can get the, the hook point driven home. Right, yeah, take the slack out and drive it home. Yep. Hey, can, can you set too fast? Do you think you, you never set too fast when you're nymphing? Uh, when you're nymphing, I wouldn't say you could set too fast. Right on, Sometimes the faster the better, I think, because, mm-hmm. you know, we've all seen the underwater shots of the trout taking a nymph and spitting it back out again. So, yeah, set as quick as you can. I agree. I've had people say, should I wait to set? I mean, no, 
No. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't do wait. that. When you're nymphing, set that hook just as fast as you possibly can. Again, that's why we're very much on edge, ready to set. We acknowledge, like, when you're fishing dry flies, often I will have days where, especially in slower water, those fish come up, you know, very subtly and they eat the fly and you have to almost wait for them to yeah. eat the fly and then turn down. Right. And you have to be patient on a hook set, you know? I think, it, don't they say God save the queen? And then you exactly then what save it is. The, yeah, then yes. you set the hook. Yeah. Boy, <laughs> My don't problem s- is I say it too fast. God save the queen. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work for me. There I think I'd say it twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your problem. <laughs> it is my problem. I haven't worked through it yet. Yeah. Well, so we're not trying to save anybody. When we're nymphing, you're just, you're, <laughs> you're setting as quickly as you possibly can. You cannot set too fast, I don't think. You can set too far. You can break off because you, your hook yeah. set's so darn big. Yep. I will say there's some misunderstanding out there that you need certain rods, you know, that are going to protect the tippet on the hook set. Mm. I don't think that has much of anything to do with the rod. Every rod that I've ever used for tight line, Euro nymphing stuff, I've been able to set the hook without breaking fish off. And now throughout the fight, yes, a more flexible rod tip is going to protect a 6X or 7X tippet if that's what you're using. 5X is kind of my go-to. I don't really have a problem with that. I, I, I normally go with a four-weight rod. Anyway, I'm not so concerned about a very flexible rod tip, especially for setting the hook. Aim for three inches. You're probably going to end up around eight or ten anyway. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. There's a difference between setting fast and setting far. Mm. And maybe you think, well, if I set too fast, I'm going to snap the hook off. No, not really. If you set too far you're more prone to snap your, your line off. So Every podcast, you come up with one of these little nuggets of wisdom. There it is. <laughs> I think that's it right there. Nice. There's a difference between setting fast and far. Yep. Fast is what we're aiming for. That's what we want. So, Dom, I know you've written about this, and, and we've talked about this a little bit too, but you have something you refer to as a, a check set. And I was wondering maybe if you could, you could talk about that a little bit here. Mm, yeah. Uh, by check set, I mean I'm going to set the hook to – see if there's a fish there to check. Hey, is there a fish there? Um, not like that. Yeah, not check as in C-Z-E-C-K, not check anything. <laughs> so this check set does not pull the fly out of the water. And I'll often do a check set and then let the fly reestablish the drift. Um, I used to only do it with heavier flies and with heavier setups because I felt like I could check set and then the heavier weight would just, well, re sort of anchor itself back into the drift. It doesn't mean that I'm right on the bottom necessarily, but heavier flies will kind of reestablish themselves. And I, I mm. felt like lighter flies, I could check set, but then I couldn't really get them back into their drift right. like they needed yeah. to be. I will say the more experienced I've gotten, I think the better my check set has got. Really, what I mean is the more efficient my check set has gotten, the shorter it's gotten. I, yeah. really, I think I really can do like a three to six inch, boom, hook set. And that's my check set a lot of times. I probably did it a hundred times today <laughs> when Josh was filming. He said, well, you do that, that check set like all the time. And he kind of pointed it out to me and I even watched it on the video and I went, yeah, that's kind of true. And it's become a habit. And I think it's a good habit. Yeah. And I do it right at the end of almost every drift. We talked about setting the hook, no matter what I'll set yeah. it. I kind of do a check set. I kind of do a pause hmm. and then I'll, and then I'll do the back and pass. let it drop again. You mean? Yeah. And so, you know, you get into the idea of an induced take. There's a lot of ways to, you know, convince a trout that doesn't want to eat a dead drift. Yeah. 
I've had plenty of days where that little check set, okay, there's no fish there. And then it seems to turn the fish on because right after that, they eat it. I'm glad you brought that up because that was a question I was going to ask you whether or not you ever find that little check set, uh, whatever motion it imparts, do you ever feel like it you know, would induce a take, which you just said yes. Mm-hmm. Follow-up question to that then, do you ever feel like the style of flies you're fishing is more um, apt to producing a take versus others maybe? Yeah, for sure. Stone flies, uh, small buggers, uh, let's say bigger yeah. flies, uh, flies with hackle or even CDC collars or something like that. Stuff that moves. Yeah, stuff that moves. Little mini streamers. When I do a crossover technique, I check set a lot. Almost mm. every drift, I find a reason to do what I call a check set when I'm using this crossover idea where it's very small streamers, uh, but I'm nymphing them and then I'll activate them a little bit. And yeah. one of the ways I activate them is with a little check set. That's cool. You know, there's so many variations. And now that we're sort of getting to the end of this podcast series, it's neat. It's just there's so many different ways that, well, you're dead drifting. And now uh, you can branch off of that a little bit, you know? Yeah. You can get perfect dead drifts over and over and they still won't take it. So what else are you going to do? You know, you can right. throw dries, you can throw streamers. Great. Try that. But lots of times they won't eat that either. On the most difficult days, when they won't eat dries and streamers and nymphs, how you're supposed to present them, mm-hmm. um, I find that doing these little variations sometimes turns the trick. The last thing I'll say about this check set and any kind of unusual motion you're going to do to your nymph, don't overdo it. Mm. You, you know, yeah. when, that, when I do that check set and I, I said I think I've gotten better at it, it's three inch. I'm trying to only move that nymph three inches. I probably do move it more than three. I don't know. You know, it's, sure. it's you can feel it. You can sort of just feel it on your rod tip. Boy, you don't want to go very far. It's the slightest motion with your hand. It's almost like you're just twitching your hand. All right, anything else, Austin? Yeah, um, I want to tie this back into the recovering slack episode we did. Um, one of the best ways we can get good hook sets is by managing slack and retrieving line. Mm. If we are drifting and we have a fixed line presentation maybe and we've got our arms stretched out and we're trying to do our best to stay ahead of the slack and we're coming towards the end of our drift and a fish eats, we're going to have to move our arms so far in order to remove the slack and get a solid hook set. Oh, yeah. When in turn, if we're practicing good line management, recovering slack as the river feeds it back to us, we can do a quick, efficient, fast hook set Mm -hmm. immediately. And that's something that uh, I just wanted to point out is these all these steps work hand in hand. And especially when recovering slack, it makes setting the hook so much easier. It does. That's cool. It's, it's efficient. So much of this does come down to efficiency. Mm. And really, the steps do go in order. You know, there's it's not just nine skills and, oh, you can kind of, eh, you learn this one and learn that one. Hopefully, yeah. people have listened to one and two and three and so on before they got to eight. Right. If you haven't, that's all right. Go back and listen, and all this will make more sense. If you don't have that slack management like you're talking about, Austin, you're going to be in trouble. You can't do a three-inch hook set if if you have slack built up. Absolutely. But if you've been doing all of this stuff we're talking about and you have a really good understanding of uh, what's going on and your the skills are refined, you can even just be tracking and slightly out of touch with your flies, and you have a reason to set the hook, and you can set that hook, three inches, six inches, and you're there. Yeah, and that's what makes it all work. Yeah, and it's fun. 
it always comes back to that. <laughs> yes, it's, it does. It's fun knowing you have that much control and you can do anything that you want to do with the line, with the flies then. Mm-hmm. All right, so there you go. That's number eight of the Essential Tight Line and Euronymphing Skills series. The strike is the best part of fishing. It's what we're out there waiting for, or rather what we're trying to make happen all day long. And the trout eats because we get so many things right. We fool a fish and we fulfill the wish of every angler. That's what we're <laughs> trying to do. When the fish strikes, we strike back short, swift, and effective. The hook finds flesh. And then we try to keep the trout buttoned up and get it to the net. Remember that each of these podcast episodes is supported by a companion article on the Trout Pitten website. The final skill in this series of nine is called putting it together. Is that really a skill in itself? I ask myself that question. <laughs> but I think it is. I think, I think it matters. Because learning how to blend all of this, to read the cider, wade upstream, and adjust on the fly is a different process for the tight line angler than for any other style of fly fishing. So look for that one, putting it together in your Trout Pitten podcast feed. We have just one more to go. There are nine episodes in this essential skills series. So subscribe to the Trout Pitten podcast and follow along. Will you read us out, Austin? Yep. Remember, TroutPitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. With over 800 articles, there are stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Thank you for listening to the Trout Pitten podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. It really helps us out. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. <laughs>